This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Good morning, uh, everybody. Once again, it's great to welcome Tigen Layton uh, to the Austin Zen Center from afar, Zoomed from afar. And um, I just want to say a few words about Tigen for those of you who may not know him or his teaching. Tigen is a long-term student of Japanese uh, and Buddhist art and culture, uh, going back to uh, his undergraduate studies and uh, began Zoto Zen practice in 1975 in New York and then studied East Asian studies and Japanese language at Columbia. And um, after a, an early career as a documentary film editor in New York and in San Francisco, he came to San Francisco Zen Center and the rest, I guess you could say, is history. <laughs> he is a Dharma heir of uh, Tenshin Reb Anderson and has practiced, practiced extensively in uh, the three centers of uh, San Francisco Zen Center as well as in Japan. Many of you know Taigen has, is, uh, has long been active and vocal in what we have sometimes called Engage Buddhism and has written extensively on topics that are very germane today, including climate change, social justice, and peace. And uh, he has been in Chicago as the guiding Dharma teacher for Ancient Dragon uh, Zen Gate since 2007. And he's here with us. So, Taigen, would you like me to chant the chant at this time? or? Uh, yes, uh, yes, please uh, go ahead and chant the song of the Grass Hut, just so people hear it. Uh, okay. Some of you may know it, some of you may not. Okay. So Thank you. Thank you. Song of the Grass Roof Hut I've built a grass hut where there is nothing of value After eating I relax and enjoy a nap When it was completed, fresh weeds appeared Now it has been lived in, covered by weeds The person in the hut lives here calmly Not stuck to inside, outside, or in between Places worldly people live, he does not live. Realms worldly people love, she does not love. Though the hut is small, it includes the entire world. In ten square feet, an old man illumines forms and their nature. A great vehicle, bodhisattva, trusts without doubt. The middling or lowly cannot help wondering, will this hut perish or not? Perishable or not, the original master is present, not dwelling south or north, east or west. Firmly based on steadiness, it cannot be surpassed. A shining window below the green pines, jade palaces or vermilion towers cannot compare with it. Just sitting with head covered, all things are at rest. Thus this mountain monk does not understand at all. Living here, she no longer works to get free. Who would proudly arrange seats, trying to entice guests? Turn around the light to shine within, then just return. The vast, inconceivable source cannot be faced or turned away from. Meet the ancestral teachers, be familiar with their instruction. 
Find grasses to build a hut and don't give up. Let go of hundreds of years and relax completely. Open your hands and walk, innocent. Thousands of words, myriad interpretations, are only to free you from obstructions. If you want to know the undying person in the hut, do not separate from this skin bag here and now. Thank you, Choro. Uh, so I'm very happy to be here at Austin Zen Center. I visited there once many years ago, but I'm happy to be talking today about the Song of the Grass Hut, uh, Sowanka in Sino-Japanese, Grass Hermitage or Hut Song. And um, so this is uh, was a poem by or song from Shito Shichan, in, in Chinese, Sekito Kisen in Japanese, we say. And he's very important, lived 700 to 790. He was three generations before Dongshan or Tozan, the founder of, considered the founder of Soto Zen or Dong in Chinese in, in China. Uh, and probably he's more familiar to most of you from his other important teaching poem, long a part of the Soto liturgy, Sando Kai in Sino-Japanese, which is the harmony of difference and sameness is how we translate it here. There are various translations. The uh, harmony of difference and sameness is a kind of foundational teaching of, I could say, Soto Zen philosophy or the dialectic philosophy of basically of East Asian Mahayana, the integration of sameness and difference, or the integration of our sense of wholeness or oneness into the all the differences, all the particulars of the phenomenal world and our everyday activity. So this is core philosophical teaching of Soto Zen, and I would just say East Asian Mahayana generally. Um, so that's that's a very important teaching. Do you, do you uh, chant that, Ed Austin? Yeah, okay. Um, the Song of the Grass Hut was also by Shito or Sekito. And um, I would say it's more about practice and how to uh, establish a space of practice. Uh, so um, there are many things to say about it. And I think it's um, particularly um, relevant now. Um, in these uh, challenging times on, on so many levels, from climate to war to COVID to uh, uh, systemic racism and all of the challenges that we face in our world and also all the chases, challenges we face together. I was happy to hear that you're gonna be meeting again in person next week. Uh, my song here is going to be meeting. Well, we did, did it for a month. Um, last year and then had to close down again, but we're gonna be meeting in a um, uh, Lutheran church in North Chicago starting tomorrow for our Sunday morning and Monday evening events. So you're all welcome to come to any event at Ancient Dragons Engage. Just go to www.ancientdragononeword.org and you can see our offerings. But, um, you know, the, 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 uh, there's a line in the Song of the Grass Reformatage or the Song of the Grass Hut uh, 
the, uh, the middlinger lowly can't help wondering, will this hut perish or not? Perishable or not, the original master is present. And uh, my song is one of, one of the number of songas in, in our lineage and in North America that have uh, perished, our temple perished, our sangha hasn't. We're on, we've been online on this strange Zoom vehicle for uh, since March 2020. This is 2022, I think. Anyway, almost two years. Um, and um, But we had a wonderful storefront, small, homey storefront temple in the main street in Chicago. And uh, we had to let it go. We, the lease expired and it was not COVID friendly. And so we're working towards finding a new grass hut. So, so on ka, the, the Sino-Japanese character, so is grass on is hut or hermitage, ka is song. And uh, I, I've been saying this when I've been talking about the Hokyo Zamai, the song of the Jewel Mara Samadhi, which was uh, by Dongshan three, three generations later. We have the words, but we don't have the, the melody or the tune that from the old song. So if any of you are musicians and you want to write a, a uh, song, a melody for the song of the grass, I'd please send it to me. I'd love to hear it. Okay, so, yeah, um, the, I'm going to just focus on a, a number of the lines in this long teaching poem. Maybe, Choro, if it's not already there, you could put, put the text up in the chat so people can look at it there. Um, and um, yeah, it starts out, I've built a grass hut where there's nothing of value. After eating, I relax and enjoy a nap. <laughs> so Shito's name means above the rock, literally. I used to think, I used to translate it as Stonehead, but anyway, um, he, he, I've seen a picture of it. There was a big rock near his temple where he actually built a, a a grass hermitage. Um, the hermit, the rock is still there. <laughs> hermitage, hermitage has is not. That was back in the eighth century, but um, and he had he had, he had a big temple with many students, but he also had this grass sort of hut. And there's a whole tradition in Soto Zen and in Zen and, and East Asian uh, Buddhism of hermit monks um, uh, living in small small huts. Uh, two famous examples, Hanshan in early in China and Tang Dynasty and Ryokan, Soto Zen monk and great poet, both of them were great poets, um, who, uh, who lived into the 19th century. At any rate, this, this Chinese character An, which could be translated as hut or hermitage, sometimes is applied to temples in Japan and I, I think in China, and some of them are very modest and small. In the Song of the Grass Hut, he talks about uh, 10 feet square as is his, uh, the size of his grass hermitage. Um, some of the on temp temples in Japan are very large and fancy. So uh, this, this word hermitage is, is used in many ways. At any rate, um, so he says, I've built a grass hut where there's nothing of value. After eating, I relax and enjoy a nap. So for me, this poem is literal, but also as in many Zen teachings, also metaphoric. Uh, this refers to the space of our practice, whether it's a uh, Zen temple 
or whether it's just a little space in your home where you sit and face the wall and face yourself. So this is about this this song, this this teaching poem is about how to uh, establish a space of practice, a space for Zaza and, and um, what that space is like. And again, he starts off by saying he's built a grass hut and there's nothing of value. So very modest. It's not about material uh, possessions or acquisition. It's even though there were so-called on temples, and there are still in Japan that are, you know, quite <laughs> ample. Um, so, um, although the he says, although the hut is small, it includes the entire world. In ten feet square, an old man. In, uh, um, I know this song, but I'm going to uh, read it. Um, in, ten, in 10 feet square, an old man illumines forms and their nature. So um, this 10 foot square in uh, Sino Japanese is hojo. And you may have heard that word, and that Japanese word. Hojo is how uh, abbots in Japan are referred to. It's kind of a title, Hojo-san. Uh, so uh, there's, uh, this is sort of funny, this 10 feet square, it goes back to um, the Vimalakirti Sutra. Do any of you know that text uh, in, from India where Vimalakirti, great uh, enlightened lay disciple of Shakyamuni, uh, according to this text, probably not historic, but it was, uh, he, he uh, lived in a room that was 10 feet square. So this goes back to that. Well, okay, the story is, is he lived in a small room and uh, Shakyamuni heard that he was ill. I mean, seriously ill. And he asked for his uh, disciples one by one and bodhisattvas to go and call on him to ask after his illness. So this is a practice it regularly done by monks and priests to go and, and check on people who are ill. Um, and one by one, each of the, uh, so this is from the Malakirti Sutra, uh, one by one, each of the disciples and the bodhisattvas decline. They, and then they tell a story about their last encounter with Malakirti, where he kind of showed them up, especially on the teachings that they were most uh, <laughs> known for. So uh, eventually, Manjushri, the fearless great bodhisattva wisdom, agrees to go to the Malakirti's hut uh, or room. And uh, anyway, it's a, it's, a, it's a very colorful story. That's a very entertaining sutra. Uh, he, the Malakirti manages to fill this 10 foot square room with huge uh, lion thrones for all the bodhisattvas. And, and there's a wonderful dialogue that ensues. So, but the story is that uh, hearing about this in China, uh, an emperor sent an emissary to go find this hut and, and tell him about it. And he went to Baishali, which is the town where the Malakirti was supposed to have lived, and he asked them, well, where did Malakirti live? And uh, the Indian uh, teachers there who we asked probably were, <laughs> were giggling. But anyway, they showed him the space that was supposedly from the Malakirti, and it was 10 feet square. So that's where this comes from. Anyway, Hojo is 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 the uh, uh, kind of nickname for abbots, Zen abbots in Japan, based on this. 
But here in the Song of the Grass Hut, he says, though the hut is small, it includes the entire world. In 10 feet square, an old man illumines forms and their nature. So this is, this is our practice. Right in the space above and maybe below and around your zabuton or your chair, wherever your seat is, the whole world is there. Everything, you know, and, and, and the pandemic and Zoom have, have reinforced this. Um, we see our interconnectedness to the whole world. The pandemic won't be over until we can get the pharmaceutical companies to uh, share uh, information about the vaccines with countries in Africa and South Asia. We're connected. And now we are all endangered by a, a, an invasion and war in Eastern Europe and the Ukraine. And the whole world is there. The whole world is affected. Uh, Chernobyl's there. Uh, and actually the Russian troops have captured Chernobyl, which, it, which Gorbachev said was the, one of the main reasons why the Soviet Union collapsed. And there are, there are other uh, nuclear uh, power uh, places in Ukraine. So it's very dangerous. And we all need to try to in, encourage peace in whatever way we can. Anyway, back to the song of the grass hut. You know, will this hut perish or not? Um, uh, Amat, so it says a Mahayana Bodhisattva, trust without doubt. So trust or faith, to use the English word, is very important in our practice. And it's not faith in something else. It's not belief in some deity or dogma or whatever. It's just this basic trust in the reality of wholeness, of the universal, of the ultimate reality, which we then express in our lives, in our bodies, in our hearts, uh, and share with uh, the world. And the Sandokai, again, is about how we integrate this sense of wholeness with our everyday activity and the particulars of our world. Um, so, a Mahayana Bodhisattva trust without doubt. The middling and lowly, it says, cannot help wondering, will this hut perish or not? It's a real question. So, our wonderful little storefront temple in Chicago par perished, or well, it, the building is still there, but we're not. And we're working towards finding a new one. And many other um, Zen centers I know uh, in our lineage in Boston and, and, and nor Northern Washington and uh, Vancouver and um, in New York. And anyway, there, there are many um, temples that, that have not survived this uh, pandemic. Uh, but will the hut perish or, perish or not? The original master is present, not dwelling south or north, east or west. So what is this original master? Who is this original master? How do we find uh, refuge in Buddha? How do we see Buddha in our lives and in our little space of practice? So uh, I'm just going to focus on... Um, a few of the key lines, and then, but also I, I look forward to some discussion and questions and responses. Um, he says, just sitting with head covered, all this, all, uh, all things are at rest. Just sitting with head covered, all things are at rest. Thus, this mountain monk doesn't understand at all. 
So this is, uh, you know, Dogen also refers to himself as this mountain monk. It's a kind of stock phrase for uh, a teacher. Um, uh, so I might say this city monk <laughs> living in big city Chicago. Um, just sitting with head covered, all things are at rest. So sitting in our, in our, on our seat in our little space or big space or in, you know, I, I can see in the background of one of you, a, a, a temple, a, a Zendo, is that, I don't know if that's the Austin uh, Zen Center Zendo or uh, a background shot, but anyway, um, yeah, in our practice places, just sitting with head covered, all things are at rest. This is a reference to Bodhidharma, amongst other things. Um, just sitting with head covered. So traditionally, paintings of Bodhidharma, alas, we don't have any photographs or uh, video of him, but uh, the, the paintings uh, show him covered with a quilt and his head is covered. It was very cold up in that cave in North China. Uh, at Shaolin Monastery, I visited that mountain. And um, yeah, so we had his head covered, even though we say not to cover your head in Zendo, uh, but um, just sitting with head covered implies also in terms of the metaphoric aspect or the, uh, the uh, ultimate level reading of this with our head covered without getting caught up in thoughts, feelings, monkey mind, all of that. doesn't mean that we should try and get rid of it. It's those, those thought, the thoughts and feelings come up and we sit in the middle of it. And then when we are just willing to be there as we are, just to meet and engage the Dharma, the teaching and reality of suchness, uh, it's like our head is covered. We're not caught up. By. We're not confused by all the thoughts and feelings that come up and then just let go. Uh, there's a, a story I love about Shito, uh, an ancient teaching story, where um, um, he says, um, I'm not going to get it exactly right, but he says the, the blue sky is not hindered by the white clouds drifting. You can say it the other way around, too. The white, the white clouds drifting are not hindered by the blue sky. Um, so thoughts and feelings come up, as Uchiyama Roshi used to say, as we are sitting, our stomach continues to secrete digestive juices and our, head, and our brain continues to secrete thoughts. So the point of our practice is not to get rid of thoughts and feelings. There is available in some places in America, the heretical school of lobotomy Zen, but that operation is not recommended. Just sit in the middle of thoughts, feelings, sensations, perceptions, not, not caught by them. So uh, just sitting with head covered, all things are at rest. Thus this mountain monk doesn't understand at all. Uh, this is very important in our tradition. Uh, it doesn't mean that, you know, a, a lot of you are very smart and have all kinds of understandings of all kinds of things, and that's fine. You can use those uh, beneficially to help suffering beings, but ultimately, we may understand that uh, what's sometimes called not knowing, uh, that we don't understand, that there's a limit to our human 
perceptions, uh, abilities, consciousness, uh, science is discovering that there are all kinds of other intelligent uh, beings, uh, even just on our planet. Um, so octopuses, for example, are extremely intelligent. And um, I think it's available on Netflix, this wonderful film, My Octopus Teacher, uh, um, by a South African uh, diver and, and shows his relationship with a particular octopus. Uh, so um, that's a very different kind of consciousness or intelligence or knowing that, than what humans have, where we, where we think in terms of subject, verb, object, and we try and verb all the objects out there to get what we want, and we try not to be verbed by the subjects out there. Uh, that's our way of thinking. And it has advantages in terms of accomplishing various things, but it's not the only way of thinking. Octopuses have eight arms and they have uh, neural receptors on each of their tentacles. Uh, in addition to octopuses, we, we now know that forests understand things, have, have intelligence, um, not just individual trees, but there's, um, um, there's another film I can recommend called The Fantastic fungi, I think, about fungus and about the mycorrhizal uh, network underneath the trees in a forest by which individual trees can alert other trees of danger and uh, can even share nutrition, even with trees of other species. So, uh, you know, our idea of <laughs> what we know is just some idea. Uh, this is very, very, a very basic teaching in Zen. Uh, Dogen talks about, for example, how um, uh, I guess you're near the Gulf, sort of, or you're a little bit away from it. We're right next to Lake Michigan, where I used to live in California, was next to the Pacific Ocean. Uh, but in the large body of water, well, uh, fish see water one way, humans see it another way. And Dogen says that, of course, hungry ghosts see uh, bodies of water as pus. It's a very sad situation for them. Dragons see it, see water as, as palaces. Uh, so, um, you know, how we, how we perceive and see and understand is limited by our human limitations. So that's the basic teaching that's very important. Um, just sitting with head covered, all things are at rest. Thus, this mountain monk doesn't understand at all. It's uh, very helpful to have some sense of all that we don't know. <laughs> along with the things that we know that we can use in beneficial ways. Anyway, um, another line in this, in this uh, song, turn around the light to, to shine within, then just return. The vast inconceivable source can't be faced or turned away from. This one line, turn around the light to shine within, then just return, is it epitomizes the whole of Zen practice. In my, in my view, turn around the light to shine within. Uh, there are many many versions of this. Take the backward step that turns the light inwardly to illuminate the self, Dogen says. Um, so when we're sitting, of course, in this in our in our particular uh, grass huts, <laughs> we um, we pay attention to whatever it is who is sitting <laughs> and perceiving and, and has thoughts and so forth. We turn around the light to shine within. We give our attention to 
Dogen says, to study the way is to study the self. What's going on in this body-mind sitting here during meditation, during zazen? And, you know, there's some tend te human tendency to kind of evaluate it after a period of zazen. You know, people may say, oh, that was a great period of zazen. I was so, I was so settled and cool. Or may say, oh, that was terrible. I was just thinking all the time and just distracted. And that's kind of irrelevant. Whatever we judgment we might make about a period of zazen, it's just that. It's just another judgment. And, you know, it's good not to judge yourself for having judgments because that's how our human consciousness works. Um, but turn around the light to shine within. Take the backward step. Pay attention to our awareness, thoughts and feelings, intentions, physical, uh, this is a physical practice to feel the tension in your shoulder or your knees or your hips or whatever, and just pay attention. Turn around the light to shine within, but then just return. So this is the rhythm of our practice. So I spent three years living at Tassajara. Some of you may have been there, but or some of you have gone to Sashim and uh, had this intensive experience of communing with the light shining within, forms and feelings, all of all of our experience, but uh, then just return. So this is this reference is also the Sandakai and the harmony of sameness and difference, uh, which says that just um, merging with merging with suchness is still not enlightenment. Uh, merging with oneness is still not enlightenment. The, the, the part about just return is very important. That's the point of our practice in a way. We turn within. And in the course of sustained zazen practice, over time, sometimes very suddenly it happens that we have a sudden opening of to the ultimate, but we become familiar with the ultimate, the universal, the, this uh, level of reality. Um, Suzuki Roshi uh, said that, uh, living in San Francisco, that just walking through the, the mists of Golden Gate Park, that his robes got wet. So there's this way in which having sustained, just continuing your practice, the most important thing about practice, just to continue, uh, that we have this sense of wholeness, the ultimate, the universal reality. And this can happen in a period of zazen or many periods of zazen over time. It happens in sashim. It happens if you go to some monastic retreat for a little while. Um, but then just return. So unlike um, some Catholic or Christian monks who spend their whole life in the monastery, in uh, the Zen tradition, one goes in sometimes for a long time. There, I think there are people who've been at Tassajara for eight or 10 years or something like that, but then just return. And how do we then share this awareness of wholeness with our, in our life in our world, in the world around us, in the challenges of our own uh, 
family, friends, our own particular situation, and also in the problems of the world. So turn around the light to shine within, then just return. If you just remember one line of Zen teaching, that's a good one. Uh, turn around the light to shine within, then just return. And then he says, the vast inconceivable source can't be faced or turned away or turned away from. The vast inconceivable source. So this word source is um, problematic sometimes for uh, uh, English-speaking Zen people. The source that is often spoken of in our tradition does not mean some uh, creator deity in the past who uh, created everything historically or you know, however you want to see that. This vast inconceivable source is always present. It's always right here. So uh, how do we uh, how do we have a sense of that? How do we commune with that? How do we uh, try to uh, share that sense in our lives? It's not about having some understanding of it or having some dramatic experience of it. It's possible to have some intellectual understanding of this dharma of suchness, this vast inconceivable source, but we can't really conceive of it. It's beyond words. And it can't be faced or turned away from. In the Jewel Mara Samadhi song, it says, turning away and touching are both wrong. We can't get a hold of it, but we can't ignore it either. Or once we start, you know, this practice of taking the backward step and turning your light inwardly, once you start Zen practice, I'm, I, I'm sorry, but you know you can't ignore it. You can't get away from it. It's part of you. Just the first time I sat Sazen, my first Sazen instruction, I knew this was it. <laughs> uh, I had this sense of wholeness and, and that everything was okay on some deep level, even though, of course, we live in a very fragile, dangerous world. This vast inconceivable source can't be faced or turned away from. Uh, how am I doing on time, Joro? You're fine, Tigan. You can you can continue. Okay, I'm, I'm not. We'll, talk, we'll have Q and A whenever you're ready. Yeah, I'm not finished, but I, I just I don't want to. I can sometimes just sit up here and babble for endlessly. But um, okay, um, but this vast inconceivable source. You can't run away from it because it's part of you now. You have you have glimpsed it, maybe just out of the corner of one eye. Uh, and again, it's it's possible. You know, there there are all these stories about sudden dramatic experiences of that that hap that happen. They still happen, but that's not the point. And having some you know intellectual understanding of it. You know, that, that's possible too, but that's not the point. It can't be faced or turned away from. Just turn the light within and then just return. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, there, there's more I could say about that, but I'll, I'll uh, go to another line. Even though, again, just remembering. Uh, Turn around the light to shine within, then just return. 
then he says, meet the ancestral teachers, be familiar with their instructions. So, you know, we have this wonderful body of teaching and teachers uh, that are, is in our Soto Zen lineage and uh, the academic scholars who, you know, I am involved with them sometimes in some ways, you know, the historical scholars uh, refute some of the, some of these um, old teaching stories and say they were concocted much later. And certainly they were, uh, there are different versions of them and they were, uh, we can play with them, but uh, to look at the ancestral teachers and be familiar with their instructions is very helpful. And it says, buying grasses to build a hut and don't give up. So you establish your place of sitting, your grass hut. Um, and, you know, this, the whole, this whole thing that we talk about of the ancestors, uh, it used to be translated as patriarchs uh, because our lineage uh, up until modern times was um, men. <laughs> but, of course, we now know there's a wonderful uh, book. There are many books, but The Hidden Lamp, edited by Sue Moon and Florence Kaplow, has all these wonderful stories about great women teachers in India, China, Japan, Korea, America and commentaries, wonderful commentaries by modern women teachers. Anyway, so uh, ancestors. Uh, we have this lineage of particular ancestors in our, in our lineage, but also related ancestors. Uh, other Zen, uh, Zen teachers from the past who we honor and, and talk about in all the stories that we uh, listen to and, and absorb into our own practice body. But we also have ancestors, many kinds of ancestors, um, uh, historical ancestors, uh, our, our uh, genetic ancestors, cultural ancestors. So, um, you know, the, if for musicians, the, 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 the people that you look back to as inspirations for uh, people who are interested in literature, the great writers that you look back to, all of these are our ancestors uh, in various ways, along with, you know, Chateau uh, and Dongshan and, and uh, Hongzhe and Dogen. Anyway, um, meet the ancestral teachers, be familiar with their instructions, find grasses to build a hut and don't give up. So again, it's very important to sustain this practice of just sitting in 10 feet square in your space of practice. Uh, so this is also a model for Zendos. You know, in, the, in early Buddhism in India, they didn't have meditation halls that developed in East Asia uh, in Confucian culture. They just, you know, they came together during the rainy seasons to join uh, around Buddha, but then they wandered around and they would just sit facing a tree. Uh, so now we face walls. Anyway, um, build your space of practice. And that, you know, that also refers to Sangha. How do you have a grass hut Sangha? How do you sit together with all the people in your, in your grass hut when you sit together? And that, as you're going to start to do again, I understand next week. Um, and then he says, let go of hundreds of years and relax completely. So I probably, there are some of you who did not think that 
the goal of Zen practice is to relax completely. But that's what this is saying. Sitting session, of course, you know, one has aches and pains, one has uh, emotional entanglements, one has regrets about the past, one has fears about the future. Um, all of this is part of the, um, you know, the scenario, the scenery of our practice. But he says, let go of hundreds of years. This is, uh, so again, we don't, the Fox Koan teaches us not to ignore cause and effect, not to neglect our karma and, and all of those ancestors and all of the uh, emotional challenges that we face and all of the regrets over the past and all of our fears of the future. And uh, uh, we also have ancestors of the future, by the way. But anyway, um, let go of hundreds of years. It doesn't mean forget them or deny them, but just, okay, face, we face hundreds of years when we face the wall, when we face ourselves, but just let go. This is the essential art of Zazen. Uh, I, I kind of disagree with Dogen about this. He talks about it as beyond thinking is the essential art, and that is also very important, but just letting go. It doesn't mean denying or pushing away. It means the white clouds drift by and we let them go and they may come again. So this letting go is very subtle. One of Dogen's main phrases for Zazen, Shinjin Datsuraku means uh, casting off, sometimes it's translated body and mind or letting go of body and mind or dropping, just dropping body and mind. How do we let go of all of our concerns and worries and regrets Again, it doesn't mean ignoring the world. This is very subtle, this letting go. How do we take care of ourselves and the people around us and our, and our troubled world? Um, so he says, let go of hundreds of years and relax completely. So if you walk into um, a, a, a zendo in the middle of Sashin and you see all these people sitting you know, stoically upright and still. <laughs> and it may not look like they're relaxed completely. <laughs> and actually, you know, I've seen just a few people sitting zazen in my years of practice who I could see, oh, that guy's relaxed completely. And sometimes, you know, sometimes you can see it. It doesn't mean slumping or, or you know, wiggling. It's just, okay. How do you settle into your life, your body, your heart, this space, this time? So let go of hundreds of years and relax completely. So this is a lifetime's work to relax completely. And of course, we can do it again and again in any moment of uh, meeting the inconceivable source. He continues, open your hands and walk innocent. Thousands of words, myriad interpretations are only to free you from obstructions. So all those, all those ideas, all those interpretations, all those words, um, Shito is saying, are just to uh, encourage you, to free you from obstructions. So uh, in Suki Roshi lineage, and Dogen talks about this too, we study the ancient story, the old stories, 
We study the sutras. We study all kinds of ancient teachings. We study current teachings too. You know, you don't have to restrict your uh, uh, your study of uh, thousands of words and varied interpretations only to official Zen Buddhist <laughs> kinds of words and teachings. So there are many wonderful uh, writers and poets and musicians and around. Uh, well, in terms of words, it's the writers. Um, but the point of, you know, and, and this is why Zen is often in, you know, uses poetry or these um, wonderful, somewhat enigmatic stories. Um, these are all just to encourage you to practice. That's the point of all that study. Just to encourage you to get back into your grass hut and turn around the light to shine within. They're just these 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 teachings, these encouragements. These these are these uh, words and interpretations that are just to free you from obstructions, to let go of all of the ways in which we are get caught, which is what we, you know, part a big part of sazen practice, sustained sazen practice, is to see that, is to actually see and become intimate with our own patterns of obstructions, to see our own habits of grasping or anger or confusion and be familiar with them so that we don't have to react. We don't have to be caught by these obstructions. We can see them and say, oh yeah, there's that again and respond. Uh, when when there's a way when there is something some way that we see that might be helpful to respond. Uh, so he, then he says, uh, if you want to know the undying person in the hut, don't separate from the skin bag here and now. So this is one of our, the, our favorite chants at Masanga, and when I first introduced it, uh, one of one of our dedicated practitioners was very upset. She she didn't want to think of herself as a skin bag. <laughs> this is, you know, this is, it, sound, it kind of sounds derogatory, you know, this skin bag here and now. Uh, so it's a, but it's a traditional kind of way of talking about all the workings of this body and mind in this bag of skin, which, you know, eventually will perish. So um, maybe I could just take... Um, comments, questions, or responses now, but I'll just go back and, and, and mention some of these key lines, um, just, just because. Um, though the hut is small, it includes the entire world. So how do we establish a zendo, a sitting place, where we can be open to everything throughout space and time? Includes the entire world. Will this hut perish or not? Of course, this is a question that we all face. This is the question of life and death. I didn't mention a shining window below the green pines. That's a standard Chinese image for a, a, a scholar's place of study, a shining window below the, below the trees. Um, just sitting with head covered, all things are at rest. So we, so a monk doesn't understand it all. A practitioner doesn't understand it all. Um, turn around the light to shine within, then just return. See, feel, hear, taste, 
the wholeness of reality. And then just come back and share your, your expression of that with the rest of us. So zasan is a kind of uh, uh, performance art, a kind of enactment ritual where we all sit like Buddha, like the Buddha or Bodhisattva in the center of the Zendo in our own way, whether you're sitting cross-legged or kneeling or on a chair, um, just um, sitting um, like this. Um, we each perform Buddha in our own body-mind during a period of zazen. And nobody can tell you how to be Buddha. This is something you have to perform and create yourself. Let go of hundreds of years and relax completely. So even while sitting upright and still and present, can you relax completely? Can you have a moment or two of relaxing completely? This really helps when you um, get up from, you know, when you return from this awareness and try and respond to your family and friends and all of the difficulties of the world. Just relax completely. So uh, don't separate from the skin bag here and now. So uh, in early Buddhism, the idea of nirvana was, well, nirvana literally means cessation. So the Buddha, my first teacher, when I asked him how to get to nirvana, he said, you have to die. Because paranirvana is when the Buddha entered nirvana. As long as we're alive, we're, um, you know, we're in the world of samsara. We're in the world of uh, the skin bag here and now. Uh, and the, the instruction is don't run away from yourself. Don't separate from this. Be present in this body mind, in this situation, in your dharma position, with all the difficulties you have in your life. We all do. And um, just don't try and run away from that. Just be present in our uh, perceptions and in all that's happening around us. So um, that's a little bit about how to establish a place of practice, a situation of practice in your life, according to our great ancestor, Shudo Shichan, in the 8th century. <laughs> so, um, uh, Choro, maybe you can help me call on people comments, questions, uh, responses. I'd love to hear your responses and have some discussion. Yeah, Tygen, I can monitor if you like. And if you would use raise hand, that's the easiest way for me to see who's who wants to be recognized. If that doesn't work for you, uh, make some motion. <laughs> I'll try to stay on top of it. Any comments or questions for Tygen? Pat. Thank you, Tygon, for this talk and uh, for introducing uh, this song to me. At least I've never heard it before, and uh, I love it. I uh, was just reacting to what you said very recently as Zazen as uh, performance art. I, kind of like that because 
lately, I've been thinking a lot of Zazen as kind of an act of veneration and that idea of uh, uh, it being performance art, it kind of fits with that, that we're just sitting here honoring uh, our Buddha nature or honoring Buddha or however we we think of it. And uh, uh, so, yeah, performance art. I thank you for that, that image a lot. So that was just, I guess I don't really so much have a, have a question, but I just wanted to say that and to thank you. So. You're welcome. Um, yes. Um, I mean, Zazen is an act of veneration. We're venerate, you know, we venerate the ancestors, we venerate all beings. You know, Shuta says in our in our space of Zazen, in our grass hut, it includes the entire world. So we are um, expressing gratitude for all beings, for those we particularly appreciate, uh, ancestors or friends or fellow Sangha members. So yeah, it's it's also an act of veneration. There's lots of aspects to Zazen. It's so simple and so well, profound and complex, but it's also a rich uh, performance art. Uh, there's an article I did called uh, Zazen as an Enactment Ritual. It's in my book, Send Questions. You can also find it on the ancientdragon.org website under the, there's a link to my articles. So um yeah, this is a it's a ritual that we do called zazen, in which we are enacting Buddha, and we do this with our body and mind. And yeah, but also you know I've heard um, zazen described as a prayer, or as penance for you know having to sit still for forty minutes or three days or seven days is a kind of uh, repentance for all our ancient twisted karma. There's lots of ways to see it, but yes, we are in our own grass hut, on our own seat, performing Buddha. So thank you for that comment. Dave, Dave P. Hello, Tygen. Thank Hi. you so much. Um, there's so much there to think about. Um, and if you could allow me to just share, share some of my thoughts with you. So first, I just want to thank you for all of your scholarship and practice i've just read so much of what you've written and um your name just keeps coming up in all of my books as i try to increase my knowledge so thank you for all of that um also want to mention to you that uh i was i grew up in chicago was in chicago for 40 years and then now we've been here in austin for 15 years and um when i was in chicago and growing up i was reading lots of Zen, particularly Alan Watts at the time, um, uh, or I guess Zen theory and, and uh, analysis. And um, so I think uh, I, I have, when I have been seeing your name and reading your work, I imagine that if we would have stayed in Chicago, I would have, I would have walked into your temple at some point. Um, and I do think that I, I was an artist in Chicago, a musician, and I do think that you work with many of my peers uh, in Chicago, my former peers in Chicago. So I appreciate you mentioning all of the references to art and music and writing and performance art here, um, because I connect very much with that. And I also think that 
a lot of the performance that I experienced in Chicago was greatly informed by my peers and their work at your temple. Um, so I do really feel the connectedness uh, with you and with with Chicago and with what your practice and your your sangha in Chicago. Um, I feel like it is connected to me, despite that you know, despite the fact that I have haven't been in your temple. But um, but I hope I, I hope to be, and I'm in Chicago quite often, and I do suspect that I will find wherever your next storefront is. And I love that you're in a storefront. And of course, Chicago is famous for storefront theater, if you all know that about Chicago. So here we're talking about Zazen as performance art, and we're talking about a Buddhist temple in a storefront. So let's just put all that together and let's reinforce the idea of uh, uh, storefront theater and storefront Buddhism. Love it. Love it all. So thank you so much. So much in here. Here's my question for you. Sorry for all of that preamble. I also, like Pat, connected to all the references of art, and I, I do have a former career as a musician. And at the beginning, you said, if you're a musician and you're interested or you have a melody for this song, um, please send it to you. So I love that challenge and want to take it. I want to take it to heart. Um, and here's my question for you, and it's a kind of a, a funny question. What is a successful <laughs> interpretation of this song? And I'm just going to leave it at that. And I understand all of the complications of that question. And I will just leave that in your very uh, capable hands. <laughs> well, I will just repeat the words of my favorite modern Zen poet. There's no success like failure, and a failure is no success at all. <laughs> so, uh, my favorite Zen poet from Minnesota. Anyway, um, yeah, um, anything that that uh, pleases you is you know is good. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I want to I want to in response. Just first of all, to say you left Chicago 15 years ago. I arrived in Chicago 15 years ago. I managed to escape California and relocate to Chicago. I had been coming visiting there and we sort of established our Sangha a few years before, but uh, January 2007 is when I, or maybe it was February, is when I arrived and uh, relocated to Chicago and, and, as I said, escaped the Bay Area where there are Zen teachers on every, on every street corner. Anyway, um, yeah, so uh, just for your information, since you know Chicago, we had our temple, our storefront on Irving Park Road near Damon and Lincoln, a uh, wonderful area. Our The church we're going to be occupying now for a little while is on Foster and Ashland, uh, so up north. But we're looking for a, a new space to um, uh, create, to, to a building to buy to create a new long-term Suzuki Roshi uh, lineage temple in Chicago. So if any of you uh, have a lot of extra money that you want to use in a good way, you know, contact me. Um, anyway, um, creativity and art and music and writing and painting and, you know, um, all kinds of creativity. So I think Zazen is about creativity, amongst other things, um, and not just formal 
art, but, you know, cooking or gardening or the creativity of taking walks or, you know, whatever. Uh, When I'm in the middle of um, a writing project, I've managed to somehow uh, publish 10 different books, um, translations and commentaries. But when I'm in the middle of writing something, often in the middle of Zazen, an inspiration comes or a a sentence appears or a paragraph. (laughs) And I know other um, creative people for whom that's true too. And this goes back to the Platform Sutra of the Sixth Ancestor, parts of which are kind of spurious, but he has this section about uh, uh, Samadhi and Prajna are one. So in our settledness, and this is also part of what is being said in the, gra- in the Song of the Grassroof Hermitage, Song of the Grass Hut, that when we settle in our space of practice, uh, insight arises. I, I prefer to translate Prajna as insight rather than wisdom, because wisdom is, you know, sounds, sounds like knowledge or, you know, it's um, just insight to see clearly what's happening now. So uh, many people have, have reported this to me that, you know, that sometimes in Zazen, some, uh, you know, whatever creative, whatever creative activity you're involved with, you know, I'll, I'll add uh, relationships or parenting or, you know, along with cooking and gardening and painting and making music. Anyway, um, uh, so uh, that's connected to our settled in, settling in sustained zazen practice. The most important thing about zazen is just to continue, to keep at it. Um, And um, yeah, then uh, creative inspiration arises naturally. And uh, please do, you know, I've made this challenge also when I've been talking about the song of the Jewel Mary Samadhi, Hokyo Zamai. So if you can, um, you know, compose a melody for either one, just send it to me and I'll enjoy it. And there's no one right melody. We, we you know, we don't have the uh, audio tapes from when Shito uh, uh, or Dongshan were, you know, creating these songs. So, you know, whatever pleases you. So, thank you. So, if there are any other comments or responses or questions or reflections, uh, feel free. There's a comment from Bill Harnu. Uh, thank you for your talk and all your writings, and peace to all. Uh, Rich, Rich has his hand up. Uh, good morning, sir. Thank you very much for that wonderful talk. Um, I confess, last week I skipped out on the group on the Sangha meeting to attend your class on Hangzhou, and um, I was wondering about the relationship between this teacher and Hangzhou. Were they were they Dharma? heirs or was Hangzhou a Dharma heir of Chito or and also so is this an is this would this be in that same line of question it would this be an expression of silent illumination yeah well there are various uh, names for Zazen um, various ways it's referred to so uh, Hangzhou lived uh, just a century before Dogen 1091 to 1157 and I've and giving teachings about him. And my, my first book, Cultivating the Empty Field, has some of his writings a little bit. Um, um, he's, so he's, yes, of course, he's in the lineage of Chateau and Yaoshan and Yunyan and Dongshan. 
he's a great uncle of um, Dogen's in terms of the Dharma lineage. Um, so one of the things, you know, all of all of my writings and studies really have been focused on where did this guy Dogen come from? When I first had Zazen instruction, I also heard uh, back then a very bad, uh, my, my Japanese teacher couldn't speak English very well, but he was reading from a, the, only, the only major translation back then, which was really bad translation. I don't look at it anymore, but still something came through and I wanted to understand where did this guy Dogen come from? So, uh, I, I, my first my first book was a translation of Hongzhi, who was the cent century before and who Dogen refers to a lot. Um, I also actually in cultivating the empty field that book uh, there's also the, a translation of the Song of the Grass Hut. So I first translated it with Kaz Tanahashi, a good friend Kaz back in the I don't know late seventies early eighties. Yeah, I see a through line very clearly from the teachings of uh, Shito and Dongshan and Dongshan's teacher Yunyan and his teacher Yaoshan through all the Chinese lineage to, to Hongzhi down to Dogen's teacher and from Dogen through other great Japanese teachers in our lineage and in other lineages, Soto lineages, um, uh, to Suzuki Roshi. And, and uh, here we are. So uh, there are many, many different specific examples of that, this uh, beyond thinking that uh, Yaoshan taught, Yunyan's teacher refers to, uh, and, and that Dogen calls the essential art of Zazen. I think it's sometimes translated as non-thinking, but I like Shohaku Okamura's translation, beyond thinking. Anyway, uh, and there are, there are stories about Yaoshan, there are stories about Yunyan. Uh, there's definitely a, you know, it's what's sometimes called a family style or the uh, literal way, the literal Chinese characters for that is the house wind, <laughs> the wind of our house. Uh, that, that there's a, that's think stories about Yaoshan um, uh, to me are echoed in Dogen's writings about Zazen and in Hongzhi's. And so, yeah, there, there's a connection and each, and it, and through each generation, uh, there was someone who carried this on and, and, and imparted it to students who then carried it on. Um, and here we are. Uh, so we're very fortunate that this has survived and that uh, we can be very grateful um, to the ancestors. And yeah, there's a, the, so study the ancestors and be familiar with their teachings, she just says, way back then uh, in the 700s. Uh, and it's still uh, good medicine. So thank you for your question. I don't know if you thank have you. Well, I, if there's no other, if, if I have a chance. Yeah, go ahead. Um, yes, please. So last, in the, in the class that you taught last Saturday about uh, Hongzhi and cultivating the empty field, you mentioned that he was uh, a rival of Daiwu or Daiwu. And, uh, da Wei. Da Wei. Yeah. Da Wei. Thank you. Um, and that Da Wei was uh, Rinzai, and he taught, you know, he was uh, in disagreement with them, but yet they agreed. And they were friends somehow. It's like, how is there, uh, you know, when I think about Rinzai, I think about practicing with Mu, for example, where you sort of say no 
to all the things that supposedly constitute a self. And um, at least that's how I understand it. But our practice is just to sit, not holding or not, not turning away, but not grasping. Is that the same sort of thing, really? Well, you know, there, uh, there are many wonderful teachers in the Linji or Rinzai lineage, and Dogen refers to some of them, uh, you know, with appreciation. Um, uh, he says some nasty things about Da Wei, but, um, you know, there, there, there's a stereotype that Rinzai is about koans and Soto is about Zazen, and that's just not true. Both are about both. So Dogen, in his teaching, um, talks, you know, his in, in Shobo Genzo and in the Heikoroku Extensive Record um, that I translated, Dogen is often, often talking about uh, stories from the old teach, uh, koan collections. He was a master of that. Dogen introduced the koans to Japan. Um, and he mastered that. The, there were different. There, there, are, there were many, 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 many different koan collections in China, and and some more in Japan. There's maybe three major ones that are studied now. But you know about the Mu koan, about the dog Buddha nature koan, uh, um, in the Book of Serenity, which is was originated by Hongzhou, who you're referring to, Dogen's great uncle. Um, so there's a translation by Tom Cleary, and some of you may have seen it. Um, the cases are, are worded or chosen by Hongzhu, and he wrote the verse comments, and then a later uh, Soto Chinese Soto teacher, Wan Song, who's a very interesting uh, person uh, and teacher, he wrote commentaries on Hongzhu's cases and verses. Uh, in that collection, the Book of Serenity, there's another version of the does a dog have a Buddha nature story and the 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 response mu or wu in Chinese no or not <laughs> um, is just one one part of it so part of what Da Wei did and 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 the the Linji or Rinzai tradition is to focus on just one head word one 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 word and also working with koans, you know, we can look at various uh, turning phrases and focus on them. Um, but in this Book of Serenity version of that story, Jiaozhou or Joshu, one of the greatest Zen masters of all times, was asked about whether a dog has a Buddha nature. And there's a lot more to say about that story. Um, dogs were not domesticated. They were more, back then in Chinese monasteries, they were more like scavengers or or <laughs> or like rats we, we see now. But anyway, does even a dog have Buddha nature? And and one part of the story, Zhao Zhou responds, no, moo. And another in another part of the story, the same question, he responds, yes. And then he gives particular answers, particular reasons why he's why each answer is valid. So uh look up look look in the book of Serenity for the uh, that dog Buddha nature story. I can go find it and tell you what case number, but you can probably find it. Okay, thank you. Um, so, but the but the point about koans is that um, there's a lot of misunderstanding about that in the West. That uh, or there has been. I don't know how much is still here. I I can't. I, I used to know most of what was happening in American Buddhism because there wasn't so much 
back then, but now, you know, I can't even keep track of stuff about Zoto Zen. Anyway, um, um, yeah, the point of, of co this koan stories, these old teaching stories, is that they're not nonsense riddles that you have to solve. Some people think of them that way. Uh, they're, they're teaching stories that one can study. So I sometimes work individually with students. And, and the point is just to um, really uh, absorb, uh, understand, you know, work with each aspect of the story and, and let that become part of your teaching, of your practice body. And when it's, when you're deeply informed by it, then you can go to another story, but um, they're not riddles to solve. So and they're not nonsense. <laughs> There's a logic to the koans. It's the logic of awakening. It's not a, the logic of Aristotle or Descartes or somebody. Uh, anyway, um, so uh, yeah, uh, koans are very much part of Soto Zen teaching too. And Rinzai people do Zazen. In fact, historically, uh, was it the early 1800s or early 1900s? A lot of Soto teachers went to Soto monks went to study with Rinzai teachers because they had they had kept Zazen practice alive better than in some of Soto. Anyway. Um, hope that responds. Yes, thank you. Maybe other questions? I see another hand up. So, Charlotte, please. Maybe we'll let, have, let Chris have the last question, unless there's something really burning in somebody's consciousness. Chris? Thank you. Uh, this, something that sparked an idea after uh, reading the, the song a little bit with the Austin's Center is you know, working on reopening soon and you said you yourself are looking for a new space to gather and all that you know everything goes on with that you know two lines that kind of jumped out at me was you know i've built a grass hut where there's nothing of value and then later where he was like questioning why you know, who is it that would uh, you know, arrange cushions to attract people uh, as, as I'm looking around our own temple and you know, seeing all of our you know, various statues and arrangements and you know, cushions lined up and there's a temptation to go through and you know, clean it all up, spruce it all up and try to make everything look attractive versus just like, you know, don't put too much you know, effort in trying to uh, build a place versus just having a place is what's valuable. I was curious if I'm reading more into this than there is there, you know, is, is there other context from this of saying just having a place is fine. Don't worry about the, don't worry about exactly the, <laughs> how many, how good your cushions look or how they are just gather. So just yeah. give some more context. Thank you. Good question. Um, uh, the line in the Song of the Grass Hut is, who would proudly arrange seats trying to entice guests? Uh, so the point of uh, having a, a practice place, having a grass hut, however large it is, <laughs> however many seats you have in your, in your zendo, the point isn't to try to, you know, see how many people you can get in <laughs> to, the, to the zendo. It's just to make it available, you know, as you were saying. Um, 
So we share the practice, but, um, you know, that's a warning from Shito not to uh, try to, um, you know, entice guests. Um, yeah, uh, Shito's successor, Yaoshan, in our lineage, you know, it's said that he had eight students and, and, that, and that was good. So it's not about how many people you can get into your Zendo. But it's not that you let it, you know, well, there's a story, great story about Jojo, who, Joshu, who, uh, you know, there was a hole in the roof and the snow was coming in and he said, don't fix it, just, you know, uh, just concentrate on your practice. But uh, in Japanese Soto Zen, there's a, there's a, a slogan, an important slogan, Nemitsu no Kafu. Have any of you heard of that? Uh, Choro saying yes. Uh, so that's the house style of, Namitsu it, it literally is mindfulness. Um, um, uh, actually, the word for esoteric, but it's the uh, house style of caring for details is a way to, to to translate that. So it's not that you should not arrange the cushions and not clean the cushions, and that you should not appreciate Buddha and Bodhisattva images and and, and so forth. In fact a big part of our practice is to take good care of all that. I'm tempted to, to repeat another story, but, um, <laughs> you know, when you start looking at these stories, they kind of all intersect. Uh, okay, I'm going to. Yunyan, who was Dongshan's teacher and who was famous as a Zen failure, but he, he was, uh, he and his brother Dawu, biological and Dharma brother, uh, there are many stories about them and once, Yunyan was sweeping the ground. He was taking care, he was performing Nemitsu no Kafu. He was taking care of the temple. And uh, Dawu went by and said, too busy. And Yunyan just said, you should know there's one who's not busy. This is a very important story for all of us in our age of multitasking and busyness. And I confess to being too busy myself. But you should know there's one who's not busy. And it's a really interesting story, and it's you can find it in the uh, Book of Serenity. But um, Dao said, you mean there's a second moon? So there's two, two realities, the not busy reality and the worldly conventional reality. And Yan very eloquently, just held up his broom and said, which moon is this? Anyway, that's a great story, and um, you might enjoy that. But the point is that uh, we take care of the temple, but it's not about enticing guests. It's not about, you know, I mean, we can, we can uh, you know, put notices in, in uh, you know, wherever it's appropriate to, to let people know that there's an Austin Zen Center. But it's not about trying to, you know, you know it's not about going out on street corners and trying to persuade people to, to show up there. Thank you. Thank you, Tygen. I, I feel like we could be here the rest of the afternoon unpacking this one page of text. I want to just say the first time I encountered this was on the back of somebody's rakasu. I had just been, received the precepts as a layperson. It was the lines, let go of hundreds of years and relax completely, open your hands and walk innocent. And I was like, what is that? Because <laughs> we weren't chanting it at that point. And that, those are the lines that grabbed me. And uh, at Chapel Hill Zen Center, where I was for many years, we do chant it, or we did chant it, and uh, so it's it's in my 
It's in my bones. Thank you so much for talking about it with us today. And uh, yeah. Yeah, and it's one of our favorite chants here in Chicago. Um, and, it, you know, if people in Austin want to start chanting it, I, I, probably that would be okay. You can talk to the head teacher. <laughs> we are looking to uh, replace, we've been chanting the Srimala Devi Sutra, and uh, we were just having this conversation the other day about uh, phasing out our Srimala Devi Sutra chanting. So maybe alternate Fridays we can begin chanting the Song of the Grass Roof Hermitage. I just want to say thank you so much, Taigen. It is such a pleasure to have you uh, zooming in to see us, and hopefully uh, we'll be able to host you here in person soon. I'm not traveling these days much, but I, I'm happy to zoom in sometime. Anyway, um, you're welcome. I, I do have to go, but enjoy your breakouts. Thank you, Tygen. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>